And this desire in me to be someone else never really faded away, though. Um, I never stopped pretending to be someone else. I continued to, to want to compare myself, and, and even after receiving Christ in, in eighth grade, I continued to pretend to be someone else because I wasn't happy with who I was. And I kept putting off this false facade of having it put together and being okay and when I wasn't. And, and even throughout high school, that, even, that made me fade away from following God and chasing after him because I was ashamed about who I was. Even with Christ and the faith that I had in him, I was ashamed. And, and um, that, that me, my, me pretending actually drove me away because I believed the lie that I was okay without him. And because I was this charming, skilled, talented, if you will, kid, I got by. And everyone else affirmed those things. And so I continued to see, I don't need God. I'm okay without him. And and by God's grace through many different people and many different things, but mostly my relationship with my wife at the time, who was my on and again and off again girlfriend, pointed me to my need for a savior like you wouldn't believe. And there was this moment that I think we all need to hear this morning. There was this moment of me hearing, God loves you right now. He loves you, Derek Morris, right now. And there's nothing you can do about it. I've pursued you. I've loved you. He doesn't want me to change and become someone new to love me. He loves me in the mess. He loves my goofy redheadedness so much, my lankiness so much, my freckles, every single one of them, my sinfulness, my rebellion. It wasn't until that moment that I became truly confident in who I was and the man that I am up here this morning. And what I think we need to hear this morning, above all else, is that God loves you. He loves you right where you're at. He's not asking you to clean yourself up. He's not asking you to pretend. He's, he's telling you this morning that he loves you and he's paid the debt in full. So come into who he is. Come to him with all your goofiness, with all your awkwardness, with all your sinfulness, with all your rebellion, and he will give you rest. See, I am this goofy, energetic, overwhelming to some of you redhead. I know that about myself. I am self-aware. But I am a loved, goofy, energetic redhead by God. And this changes everything. What Paul is telling us here is that the pastor of a church is not the point. Those who lead worship up here are not the point. Jesus is the point of what we're doing here. Jesus is the point of what we're doing this morning. And he is the point. So wherever you're coming from, Christian, non-Christian, striving or stumbling, broken in, in need or seeing all your need in Christ, he's telling you this morning that you are loved and that you can come to him this morning, not by your own power, but by Christ's power in you. And so what I want us to hear this morning is that we are free for those of us who are in Christ, and what Paul wants us to hear through this text is that we are free, we are children of promise and not performance. We don't have to hop on a treadmill and exhaust ourselves. Christ has already done that, so we can be free. We can be free to be children of God. See, this is what Paul is telling us here in this text, and we will walk through it, as daunting as it may look, verse by verse, and we will see that for those who are in Christ, we are children of a promise reliant upon God and his strength in us for us on our behalf. 
not our own strength. When Christ is formed in you, as verse 19 says, you rely on his strength and not your own. You are humbled and realize that apart from his finished work on the cross and the power of the resurrection through the Holy Spirit, you can do nothing. Verse 19 is what we're going to be highlighting this morning. In verse 19, I'm just going to reread it. It says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Christ formed in you. Christ in you. We have been talking about identity in Christ. And Christ formed in you is the power in us as Christians. And so what I want to look at is when Christ is formed in you, three different things happen according to this text. We know who we are when Christ is formed in you. You know how to live when Christ is formed in you. And you are set free when Christ is formed in you. So the first point, verses 8 through 11, we see you know who you are. So let's look at this. There's a story of this pastor and, and um, parents came up to this pastor, and there were some daughter, their daughters of a very well-off family they were talking about who wanted to go into missions, and the parents were devastated about this. They had hoped that their daughters would go into get their master's degree, have a family, 2.3 kids, and a white picket fence, um, and live a life of wealth and abundance and comfort. But they wanted to throw it all away and go into missionary work, their parents thought. And they told their pastor, we really just want them to have a safety net. That's all. We're just being loving and concerned parents about this. Um, and the pastor cunningly replied, well, we're all on a huge ball of dirt hurling through space at 67,000 miles per hour. Even if you're in your lifetime, that little rock does not bump into the sun or a comet or something. Even if that doesn't happen, someday, every single one of us, a little trap door is going to open and every one of us is going to fall off. And underneath will either be everlasting arms of God or nothing at all. But, yeah, maybe you should go, maybe they should go and get their master's degree for some security. See, Paul knows it all comes down to this. When we know who we are, when we know what's been done for us in Christ, we lose our desire to have a safety net here on this earth. We know that we are known by God. Look at verse 9 here. Verse 8 and 9. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who are nature, not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to the weak and miserable forces? Paul knows that it's, we're known by God. He knows us and he loves us. See, when we are known by God, this is our safety net. Our future inheritance is secure. We don't need safety nets on this earth. We have a safety net in Christ. See, Paul is telling the Galatians that you keep running back and as we walk through the book of, of chapter 4 in Galatians, we see that they keep running back to their position as slaves under a guardian of the law. And if you remember, wealthy families had a guardian as a servant or a slave follow the elder child around, telling him where to go, what to do, what to say, what not to do. And Paul is comparing that to the law. See, when we know our future inheritance is secure in Christ, we no longer have to live under the guardian of the law. And see, what we do like, though, we like a desire for control, and it's the same with the people of Galatia. They like the desire of control, so why not circumcision? We can control that. We want that comfort of knowing, of checking it off the box, but where is the faith in that? Where is the faith in having it all together and, and controlled? See, that's why the, the Jewish people here observe days, months, and festivals, right? So they, they had control over things. They had power See, we like control as well. We feel most anxious when we're not in control, don't we? 
Think about times in your life of when you're not in control. We feel most anxious when we don't feel like we have control. So instead of celebrating Passover or Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah or other days and months that the Jewish people observed, we observe church rituals. We do things because it's just the way they've been done. We show up on Sunday morning because it's just what you do. You read your Bible because it's just what you do. You pray because it's just what you do. Not out of response of what we have in Christ, but it's just what we do. See, Christ has, has taken the debt that we so deserved and he has captured our heart for those who are in Christ. And God wants our heart more than he wants our obedience because he knows if he has your heart, he has your obedience. And so what Paul is telling us and what he's telling the people in Galatia is that God loves us enough to put us in situations where we realize that we're not in control, right? He is. So think about this. He puts us in situations so that we now realize that we're not in control. See, verse nine tells us that Christianity is not about knowing a lot about God, knowing the Bible facts, knowing your Bible. Salvation does not come through our Bible knowledge. Salvation comes through the blood of Christ, is what Paul is telling us. See, look at that. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves. Verse 9, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it? We're known by God. It's not based on how much we know. It's the fact that the creator of the universe knows us through Jesus. That's Christianity. And that's us saying, we aren't the point Jesus is. So Paul is telling, making sure that the Galatians know that knowing a lot about God does not make you a Christian. It does not save you. Realizing that you're known by God through Christ, that you bring nothing, it's only by the blood of Christ is what saves you. When Christ is formed in us, we will know who we are and our identity in Christ when it's rooted will then change us and challenge us to live a different life. See, when Christ is formed in you, you know who you are. And then in verses 12 through 20, you know how to live. So let's look at verses 12 through 20. Paul is going and he talks about this, this ailment, this bodily ailment. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I become like you. You didn't you know wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as I, I was an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. See, we first, in order to move on from this, my um, curiosity would not let me move on. So I'm going to share what I found out um, on this bodily ailment. See, most likely this ailment, some scholars think it's malaria, uh, but most scholars, most theologians uh, come up with an eye disease. And let me tell you why. Um, see, Paul would have been traveling through Pisidian Antioch. And in that region, as Paul was traveling around the same dates, there was this crazy eye disease that, that out, was an outbreak. It, it was just traveling from one person to another, and it's called ophthalmia. And what it was is it would eventually blind you. It would eventually it would pour mucus out of your eye, usually one eye. And, and, and eventually, in order to fix it, you would have to remove the eye. And, and so pairing that, that thought and the, the region that he passed through with verse 15, where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Pairing that knowledge of where he came from with this, verse 15, and then verse 6, 11, see what large letters I use as I write you with my own hand. The large letters, we're not talking about the length of letters. It was talking about literally size. 
of letters that he was writing with because of his vision was poor. So based on those things, it was, it's assumed, it, we can't land there 100%, it's assumed that it was an eye disease. So we're going to move on past that gross eye disease, and we're going to talk about what he's really trying to say here. See, Paul knows that when Christ is formed in you, you know how to live. You know how to live. Look at how the people in Galatia treated Paul. Most people who had a disease of that kind, gross physical disease, would be pushed away and be shunned and on the outskirts of the towns, and nobody would talk to them, or nobody would treat them, nobody would help them. But Paul and the people of Galatia, what'd they do? They received him. They treated Paul as they would Christ because they brought the freedom of the gospel. Paul was bringing freedom. And so, of course, they would treat him as one who is of Christ because Christ is their freedom. See, the Galatians could have rejected Paul. Most people did, but they received Paul. And just like Romans 15, 7, and I think it's up on the screen, tells us, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Just like that, just like that, the people in Galatia welcomed Paul. Let me tell you what we do on Sunday mornings here. We, the, those who are serving on Sunday mornings, um, 9.45, we meet in the cafe. And each week we meet, um, it's probably 10 to 15 of us. It's always an open invite to those who are serving, so not everyone shows up, but most, some people do, and we walk through this verse, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, accept one another, receive one another are the different translations, and, and I ask this question, so we re, I say that, we read that, and I say, how has Christ welcomed you? I, I ask that open-ended question, and there's always that awkward silence, okay, it's called teachers in the room, wait time, it's that wait time, you wait, you let it press in, and then inevitably we get responses. Once that first person hits with a response, it's like boom, boom, boom. We get unconditionally, no judging, no condemnation, freely, passionately, lovingly, all-knowingly, fully he received us. He welcomed us. He invites us in, relentlessly are some words. And, and then, then I say, okay, with that in mind, with that in mind, how can we do this for others? How can we, as those who are serving the church this morning, do this same thing and be a picture of who Christ is to others? And those of you who have showed up this morning, I hope you are greeted though with those same things, unconditionally, relentlessly, maybe with a smile and hopefully a cup of coffee in your hands if you know me. A cup of coffee is important in that transaction there. Because here's what Paul knew, according to this text. Paul knew what God has done through you to you in Christ, he intends to do through you. What God has done to you in Christ, he intends to do through you to others. So I know that to be true, we know that to be true, but it takes us remembering and slowing down, and Paul is telling us the, that they greeted him. You did not treat me with, content, with contempt or scorn, instead you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. And Paul is burdened by this because they're no longer there. From his separation, his time of separation, you were treating me with the fullness and the welcome of Christ. And, and why have you drifted from this truth? And, and Paul knew the importance of spending time with one another. So in, in verses 16 and 20, Paul tells us the importance of living life with one another. Look at verses 16 and 20. 
How, how have, I now, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? For those, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good, what they want is to annihilate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. And it's fine to be zealous for the provider for the purpose is good and to be so always, not just when I am with you, my dear children, for whom I am again in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed by you. Paul knew the importance of face-to-face interactions. What I think our, our culture and our society says is sit behind a keyboard and there's your interactions. And what Paul knew to be true was that face-to-face is the most important type of relationships, not via a keyboard and a screen, not via behind your phone, but face-to-face. Why? Why is that true? Why just thinking, why is that true? Because we can say the right thing in the wrong way. We can say right things, church. We can say the right things. We can preach all kinds of truth, but we can say it in the wrong way and lose all credibility. And especially true via via a keyboard and a screen. You can't show empathy via a keyboard and a screen. You can't show understanding and forgiveness. You can't let people see your burden for them when when you're typing out things behind a screen. But our culture says that's the way to do it. Our culture says that's the way to live life together. And I'm here to tell you, and according to this text, Paul is telling us the importance of living life together, face-to-face interactions with one another. Because we can say the right thing in the wrong way and lose all credibility. And Paul knew that he'd rather be face-to-face with the Galatians. Read it. Oh, I wish I could be with you now and change my tone. I wish I could see your face. I wish I could see your tears. And church, if we're not a people who live life together, right, we're going to be a misunderstood people. That's the importance of this. This is what Paul is saying. Please don't misunderstand me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul can only say these hard things to the people of Galatia because he has a relationship with them. He has a friendship with them. He has a burden for them, and the people in Galatia know this to be true, so he can say these things. See, Paul has lived a life close enough with them to have a burden to see Christ formed in one another. Paul knew that if verse 19 was ever going to happen, Christ formed in you is going to happen, we need to live life together and hear the truths of the gospel found in Jesus continuously, over and over and over again, and speak them into everything if we're ever going to grow in Christ together. In his book, Gospel Fluency, Jeff Vanderstelt, uh, it's out there on the, the resource library if you want to check it out, talks about this intern who was with them over a summer. And at the end of the summer, um, the, the group of leaders at, at SOMA, their church, um, asked the intern, hey, what was, your, what was challenged in your time together? What weren't you expecting that you got in our time together? And, and this is what the, um, the lady said. Well, this might sound a little strange, but the thing that most surprised me was how much you all talk about Jesus. I mean, we believe in Jesus, and this is all supposed to be about him, but you guys talk about him all the time. Every day, every meeting, every situation, you just won't stop talking about him. To be honest, while I was with you all, I began to wonder if I was even saved. And well, I'm not sure how to say this, but I think I finally came to really know and love Jesus this summer with you. It was impossible to get away from him with you. And what, what I think about that when I read that and I think of this text, is this true of us? 
as a community of those who are founded upon Christ, who are known by God through Christ, if somebody were to spend a week with me and my family and my community group or this church and just observe, would, they, would, it, would it be hard for them to get away from Jesus? Could they stop hearing about Jesus in every conversation? Would they see the truths of Jesus lived out? Would they see the understanding of Christ? Would they see the love of Christ? Would they see the reconciliation of Jesus? Would they be set free because of what Christ has done and is doing in your life? Or would they feel like there's this standard that they have to hit? See, verse 20 tells us that Paul knew the power of face-to-face, life-on-life, community and relationship with one another. He knew that it was more powerful than a pen and paper. He knew it was more powerful than a keyboard and computer screen or a phone. He knows it's better. He knows, and because it frees us, because we realize now Christ formed in you is no longer about you or me, it's about Jesus. That's the foundation of our relationship. That's why friendship shouldn't make sense in the kingdom of God. Our friendship should be pointing to the day in which every tribe, every tongue, every nation are joining together under Christ. People who don't look like us, talk like us, act like us, have the same socioeconomic status as us, living life together because of Jesus and what he's doing. See, when Christ is formed in you, you know who you are and you know how to live and you're free to finally grow. And now we get to the challenging part of this text. This chunk of text rests on this pivotal question in verse 21. Are you living a life resting on your own strength or God's strength from Christ formed in you? Are you living your life resting on your own strength? Are you living a life resting in Christ formed in you strength? See, is what we are doing here at PCC driven by what we can do on our own strength or is it driven by what only God can do? What are we banking on here to change lives and the lives around everyone? Is it Christ formed in us and in them? Or is it our own strength? See, Paul knew that the Galatians thought the power was within them. And the gospel says that the power is outside of us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, it comes inside of us. So no work done on the power of our own strength will last, especially the power when it comes to change hearts. And this is what this allegory, as Paul is writing, tells us, that Only that which is built by God can lead to the freedom our hearts are truly longing for. See, a Christianity that is built on man's strength and man's control and man's power is no Christianity at all. A Christianity built on man's strength, man's power, man's obedience, and man's comfort is no Christianity at all. Paul knew this. He wanted the Galatians who knew this to be true to believe this and to live it out. See, in verse 21, Paul tells us, And tells them that our problem is not that we've gone too far with the law, that our problem is that we haven't gone far enough. Read verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? You say the law is what is going to get you into heaven. It's what's going to save you, and you're not even following the whole thing. So your problem is not that you're following the the law too much. It's that you're not following it at all. Because you don't follow one, you're not following it at all. You don't follow one rule, one law, one ritual, one sacrifice, whatever it may be, you're not following it at all. So that's not your problem. So let's really address your problem, church, is what Paul is saying. And then Paul lays out in verse 22 the strategy of God for bringing salvation, freedom, which is salvation, into the world through his son. So here's the crazy part in this text that we need to make sure we know. 
that God promised Abraham a son. God promised Abraham a son through whom all of this would happen. And this was remarkable because it would come through Abraham, who was 100 years old, pushing a century. And Sarah, who was coming up, but not quite there at 90 years old. It would come through you. And imagine this, your great-grandma getting pregnant and having a birth to a young baby boy. Think about that. Think about, that's, it makes you laugh. It should, naturally. If not, I don't know what kind of science you believe. But it makes you laugh. Imagine that. And this is what God was saying, and this was remarkable. But that was the whole point. It was what only God can do, not what man can do. So God promised Abraham and Sarah this in Genesis 12 through 17, 12 through 20. You can read all about it. Just as the salvation of the world was what only God can do, this promise is what only God can do. So Sarah and Abraham being human and impatient, if you know me enough, you know I'm the most impatient person that has ever existed, decided to take it in their own hands and said, God, you need some help. Let me help you. So Sarah gave her servant Hagar, a young Egyptian woman, to be the wife of Abraham. They had a son together named Ishmael, and this is what Abraham could do on his own strength, so he did it. But God's promise is always the strategy that leads to lasting freedom, and this wasn't it. So Sarah did have a child at the age 90 and named him Isaac, and Isaac means son of laughter. Again, you laughed when I said your great-grandma having a baby. Son of laughter. It's, I, how is this possible? Through God it is, but not through man's power. So she had this baby, and so it was with the promise of God. We laugh at the promise of God. We stand in awe and amazement at what he has done and is doing and will do. Our contribution to the promised salvation of God is to risk everything for the sake of his name, is to believe it and risk everything for the sake of his name, is to build something upon the promise. So that's what we are doing here at PCC. We're lifting up week in and week out that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Week in and week out, I hope you never get tired of hearing that because that's all I got. It's the only platform I'm running on. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And guys, I'm here to tell you this morning that I don't have it figured out. That your pastor at Plymouth Community Church needs Jesus so desperately that I have nothing else to give you. That I am a weak, feeble man in desperate need of Jesus. And that's all I'm going to give you this morning. That I am in just as much need as you of hearing this message of hope and freedom found in Jesus. And so week in and week out, that's all I'm going to give you here. And week in and week out, I'm going to create strategies and help create strategies with our leadership team to give you this, that it's all about Christ. This church isn't about us. This church isn't about us figuring out worship team and the flow as great as it is. And, and this church isn't about sermons or how entertaining they are because I'm not that entertaining. I know that. It's about Christ. It's about Jesus and what he's done. See, Paul is telling us here in this text that the child that Abraham had with Hagar, Ishmael, is like the covenant. Read verses 24 through 28 on your own. I'll let you do that. Because just like the law, it is dependent on what men can do on their own strength. This covenant that God makes on Mount Sinai when he gave the commandments, the Ten Commandments, was dependent on their own obedience. They would obey, it would go well for them. If they didn't, not so much. It was dependent on what they could do. This was the Sinai covenant. So no matter how well they kept it, even if they kept it perfectly and they knew that you don't, you know that you don't, you would never, it would never make you more than slaves. Just as Ishmael could never be more than a slave. Why? Because his mother was a slave. 
So he was born into that. Hagar was the wrong wife for birthing free sons. Free sons are born of a free woman. And Paul is saying we can go in our affair with the law for as long as we live, but the promise of God will never be born through the law, the Hagar of the law. To put it bluntly, no one is born again by the law, only through Jesus. So Paul is saying this, and think about this. He's saying this to a bunch of Jewish-following, ritual-following people. And he says this in verse 25, Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds with slavery with her children. And as we would put it today, those are fighting words. He would have highly offended these people, saying that they were still in slavery when they were thinking they were in freedom. And, and you think you are children of Abraham by keeping the law, but Abraham had two sons, one according to the law and the other according to the promise, one by Hagar who was a slave and another by Sarah who was free. So you are children of Abraham, yes. I'll grant you that, but your sons of Hagar you're slaves of the law, is what he's saying. And so is every church that puts obedience, their obedience, over their promised salvation through Jesus at the center of the reality with God. Church, it's not our obedience that gets favor with God. It's Christ's obedience on our behalf. We're free because Christ performed on our behalf. So that we know, those of you in this room who know you can't keep the law and you go through the Ten Commandments, you know you don't. We're free because of what Christ has done on our behalf. See, they know the God of Abraham. They know the facts. They know the rules. They know the, all of it. Go through the list. But they don't live inside the promise of God by being known by God. See, they live on the fringes of this promise. See, when we think it's about us, our Bible knowledge, our obedience, what we do, our breakthrough strategy will never be our obedience. Our breakthrough strategy in this Christian life is to sit relentlessly at the foot of the cross and rest on Jesus' blood on our behalf. That's our breakthrough strategy. We don't have this thing figured out, but God does. We don't know what, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm 29 years old, y'all. But God does. And what I'm gonna give you every day, day in and day out, is Christ formed in me. And what I beg of you is to do the same. See, Christ formed in you will always be the greater strength than your own. Isn't it striking that in the last verse of this chapter after he goes through this really confusing thing, he says in verse 31, therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. He doesn't tell us what we need to do. He reminds us of who we are. That's our identity. After going through all of these things, he, he says, here's what you really need to know. Here's the important part. Remember who you are. It's not about what you do, it's about what's been done for you on your behalf in Christ. Remember who you are. Don't forget, Paul does not tell us what we should do, but only tells us who we are. We are children of the free woman. Abraham's barren wife, Sarah. Do you see the point here? We shouldn't even be here. We shouldn't be here, except that God made it happen. We love Jesus, and that's a miracle. We're all, those of you who love Christ, are all walking miracles. So we rejoice in the Lord together. That's our new identity in Christ. And we will never surrender our freedom for the sake of the law. We will never think it's our obedience that gains favor with God. It's fully in Christ. We will never apologize for being happy about Christ. We will never make this thing about us. We'll never throttle back on the message of the cross and the grace that's found in him because it's all about Jesus. 
See, there's only one way to God, and the way to God himself is created by the grace of his son and the power of his Holy Spirit. I'm gonna invite the, the worship team back up here. See, Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 40, 14, 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. See, when we know what's been done in Christ, when we know who we are, when we stop the search of finding our identity in other things that will never satisfy, we know how to live as children of the promise, set free by Christ, then we will actually live free for Christ. So if you're sad and lonely this morning, Christ is the kind of companion who will never leave you. If you are wrecked and broken in this life that you're living right now is because of the foolish decisions that, that you've made and the consequences that you're now paying because of those decisions, Christ wants you to live new. He has a better life for you. If Jesus Christ is the perfect match for every longing heart in this room, if you're in this room and you're searching for things to satisfy in this world that you know will never satisfy, if you're looking for happiness, if you're looking for peace, if you're looking for acceptance, if you're looking for riches and power and success, you won't find it out in this world, and maybe for a little bit you will. But Christ and him formed in you is the power in us. See, Christ knows you. <clears throat> he understands you. He's not fed up with you. He died and rose again for you. He was bound so that you could go free. He was disfigured so that you could become glorious. He made the total commitment up front so that you can receive him with total confidence. Church, let me tell you, as we enter in this time of communion, we need to reflect on all that we have in Christ and who he makes us. See, if you hear anything from my sermon this morning, hear this, that your life will truly be found when you give it up to Christ. That whatever you're searching for, whatever longing you have in your heart, whatever deep burden you're bringing in this morning, whatever questions you have about is this real or is God real or does God love me, I beg you to look to Christ as the one who took all those questions, all those doubts, all of those things at the foot of the cross and he paid the debt so that we can enter in with a bunch of questions but enter in freely and fully and never stop searching for him and never stop living a life free, not as children of slavery, but children of freedom. As we take communion this morning, I ask that if you have not remembered Christ, if you've not looked to Christ as your hope and your savior, don't take this morning. Take time to reflect on why you haven't. Why not? For those of you who have accepted Christ, who he is your only hope, take freely as the, the Lord leads you as we lead into worship. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Pray that We'd come to you as needy children every day, children of promise, children of hope, children of freedom, that Jesus, you have purchased our freedom for us. Thank you that we can come to you empty-handed knowing full well that the debt has been paid in full. Holy Spirit, would you convict hearts this morning? Would you open ears, open hearts to preach a way better sermon than I ever could. As we take communion, as we remember your blood, as we remember your body broken on our behalf, your blood spilled 
on our behalf. May we live generously. May we live gratefully and humble that this church would be known for you and you alone, Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.